tail end of our tale, for there must be an end, is that Venus, black goddess, was shameless. She sinned, or else completely unknowing of your God-fearing ways, she stood totally naked in her iron cage. She gained fortune and fame by not wearing a scrap, hiding only the privates lipping down from her lap. When death met her, death deathed her and left her to rot. All natural end for our hot, hot and hot. And rot, yes, she would have right down to the bone had not the doctor put her corpse in his home. She'd a soul which is mounted on Satan's warm wall while her flesh has been pickled in science's hall. The theater, the theater. Theater. To be or not to be. Theater. Theater. They should call you Scatman, Scott Leggett. <laughs> Scat Leggett. Well, now I'm Scat Leggett. I'm probably. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm now I'm too conscious of it now. Scat legged. Uh, so I also I, wouldn't call it scat. It's more like a you know it's it's kind of like a, a soundboard though. It, it does have that. <laughs> I just don't. I like scat legged. Scat legged. That's your new name. All right. I'll take it. I'll totally take it. Scott, uh, you said you had something you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Oh my God. So uh, as folks may know, right now as we record this, the Hollywood Fringe is happening. Yeah, uh, and mm. it's um, you know a lot of activity going on around the Broadwater, which is the home base for the Sacred Bulls Theater Company, which we are members of. And um, I'm hanging outside the bar, the Plunge. You know, just listening conversations. You know, people post show having discussions, and I saw almost a throw down fight <gasps> between two theater nerds about oh. the difference. <laughs> between site-specific theater and immersive theater. And oh my God. I, was, I was trying not to laugh. I was trying to listen sincerely because oh my God. that little subset, uh, and I don't mean to be disparaging in saying little subset of of the theater world, but they, they were hot. Like they were mm. in it like face-to-face kind of like fingers in chest going, no, dude, it's a totally different thing, dude. It's Bro. not. It's, Bro. It, there was a lot of bro energy going on with it. And I was like, theater this bros. theater fights. That's Let's awesome. settle this now. They are completely different things. And you can do each of them together. together. You can have a site-specific right, immersive right. show. Yes, you can have yes. an immersive site-specific show. But, yes. can, but are they the same definition? No, not at all. No. Uh, it's, an argument that I got into last night was what's the difference between immersive and interactive theater? Well, oh my God. well, that depends because again, I would say that's different. I think interactive <laughs> theater can mean that you are interacting somehow with the play, but that doesn't necessarily right. mean that you feel that you are in the world of the play. Whereas immersive is meant to, in my opinion, I could be wrong with that, is meant to make you feel as though you are part of mm. the world ah. of the play. That's my right. definition. I could All be right. way off base. Yeah. 
Yeah. That sounds about right. It's okay. like, did you guys see the one flew over the cuckoo's nest that was done like two years yes, ago? Yes, we've Wait, actually talked what? about it on this podcast because I've been listening back through our backlog. Yeah. And oh. we talked about we talked about it a couple times, but they served drinks. You had to like wait in line like you were a patient. Oh, but the wow. drinks were like your medication and stuff. And it was actually the best immersive thing I've ever seen. It's the best immersive thing I've ever experienced. Like, How have really not was. heard of that? How have yeah, you not it, heard of that? That literally it, sounds amazing. It was like terrifying. two, it was like, two, it was right before the pandemic started and it oh. had run for a little while. It was, yeah, maybe uh, it might've been like be a better year if they before. gave you meds if you waited oh, in right. line for meds. Yeah. <laughs> But you right. were in it like you were Zan bars as you walk up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you were you were in it like you were yeah. uh, you felt like you were a patient in in the insane asylum. And yeah. wow. it was a brilliant way to do it. And some fantastic performances like, mm. you know, because that show can go awry quickly. But Absolutely. I was in a bad version of that. I played yeah. Billy. Joe you were Billy. Billy. You were yes. Billy. Yeah. I remember because you, we we talked about it. I guys, I'm such a nerd. I've been listening through our old fucking episodes and i i love this show for how stupid we are i love this show <laughs> and speaking of this show welcome to theater theater <laughs> yeah. yeah segues uh the theater podcast for theater nerds made by three theater makers from the la theater scene i'm jay bailey bircham i'm cj merriman and i'm scott leggett and each week we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights by taking a macro look at three of their plays. And this is part one of our mini-series covering the works of the amazing, phenomenal SLP, Susan Laurie Parks. That's <laughs> <laughs> right, it's Top Pod Under Pod. Oh, so uh -huh. we'll be discussing Venus, Top Dog, Underdog, and Book of Grace as uh, sort of our overarching, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I hate it when I do that. Discussion? And, and that's, why, that's why Annie Baker gets her big money from us. Any bigger yeah, writes, writes our script. Yes. <laughs> but this week we are joined by a very special guest, a dear friend of mine, an activist, artist, beautiful human and soul and my friend in all things spooky the <laughs> hallow queen herself hey. the afro bohemian nymph on instagram kelly williams everyone how are you kelly i'm good thank you i'm so excited to be here it's so great to have you thank you for joining us of course we love kelly we love everything that she posts always on instagram in fact the theater <laughs> podcast also follows her just so i can see her stories twice and not look like a creep um, <laughs> but creepy things are good you know but creepy things are Halloween. yes right we love it <laughs> Um, so, okay, so the first thing that we like to do on the podcast, we are connoisseurs of context. We like to understand mm. where everybody's coming from before we get into it with Susan Laurie Parks. Is she new to you? Somebody you already knew? Is she somebody that you know personally? I don't know. So um, why don't we start with you, Kelly? What is your context with Susan Laurie? I don't know her personally, unfortunately. Oh, that would be awesome to know right? her personally. <laughs> I kind of want to party with her. Right? Like, out there. But I've always heard of her work. Someone, I can't remember, but someone, I think it was a director of mine, um, gifted me with Venus and was like, this is what you really need to, to read this play. And then, of course, in grad school, uh, a little bit dissected Top Dog, Underdog. But just the vast of her 
the of her work I haven't delved into, but always knew her as a staple growing up in the household. Mm. Um, I think there's just like little excerpts I have of her, so I knew her name in her book, but I didn't know it's interesting. I didn't know her as a playwright, but I knew her as as like a writer and a staple in my household. But yeah. left to be interesting to like come into as as a young woman. Right on, absolutely. Absolutely. What about you, Scott? It's funny, I. I've never seen anything staged of her stuff. Right. I did, however, back in the day, I had a friend working in New York when Top Dog, Underdog um, premiered. And the got, Don Cheadle, Jeffrey Wright one? Right. And he, had got, and he got me a script. It was an unpublished early script because it was kind of, I don't know if you guys remember, the, 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 there was just this sort of explosion, this buzz about yeah. about that show and how electrifying it was and especially those two performances in the show yeah and um so i'd gotten that script early on and was just kind of like you know just devoured it and was like wow um and then i got to do uh in 2007 or so um ctg la did the 365 uh plays oh, yeah. uh and so, so cool all the, in so many a lot of the local smaller theaters were involved so like i did like two or three of them and we did a couple at sacred fools then we went to the ford and we did this big uh sort of site specific ah hey. uh, performance <laughs> of one, where we use like three levels of the big balconies there if you guys have Ooh. never been to the ford there's right. it's built built on a hillside so there's these insane balcony views yeah. uh, for the different seating sections. So I did that there. Uh, for people, for listeners who don't know, uh, 360, 365 plays in 365 days was a uh, series of 365 short plays uh, that Susan Laurie Parks wrote one play a day for a year, sometimes wow. more in a day as yeah. an exercise. And then it got produced and has been produced a lot, which is really cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, it, it was a great... Uh, what I remember about it so fondly was that it was this sort of unifying thing for the theater community in Los Angeles. You yeah. had the bit, you had the big guys doing it with CTGLA, uh, and then you had all the the smaller uh, and medium sized companies participating as well. So everybody was kind of like, "Are you doing your Susan Larry Parks?" Yeah, I'm doing my Susan Larry. <laughs> everybody had a, everybody had a little bit to do. So that's yeah, cool. that's my context with it. But it was great to 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 dive into these plays and read them, and I can't wait to talk. What about you, Siege? I was brand new to her, um, which I will say to those of you out there that have not read her works or seen her works, <laughs> what a gift. Because like I, um, a couple of these plays, like I was just reading them and I was like, oh, I didn't know that was gonna happen. <laughs> so like she does that really well and I really and I really enjoyed reading her. And it's like her plays haven't been ruined for people. Like, I feel like a lot of the really famous, like, Tony Award winning plays, Pulitzer Prize winning plays, we know the twist already. We know yeah. what's coming. We know that there's that really famous scene where that one thing happens. And yeah, I found myself, especially in Venus and Book of Grace, which I hadn't read before, mm -hmm. um, having that same feeling where I was just like, oh, my God, I did not know that this was coming. This is fantastic. Um, uh, is that your context, Siege? Yeah, that's all it. Because mine's I, short too. Go ahead, Scott. I, I was just going to throw in the one other thing. The one of the first times I'd recognized her, that her name came to me was 
that she wrote uh, Spike Lee's Girl 6. Right. Which is oh. arguably one of his most underrated movies and arguably his most feminist movie. <laughs> and I remember like her being interviewed by Time Magazine at the time and, and talking about it because the movie was kind of controversial when it first came out. Um, but I just wanted to throw that in because I, I didn't want to forget that that was kind of the first time I'd learned her name. Right. Yes. I actually don't think I knew that until this researching. And I was like, oh, shit, she wrote that. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, my my entire relationship with her is that I, you know, at Hogwarts, Kelly, I went to Hogwarts, by the way, oh, for <laughs> uh, School what? of Witchcraft and Theatricality. Jealous, uh, yeah. Um, and I I was a Slytherin um, and my <laughs> my mentor, Beatty Pettigrew, uh, she did uh, hand me a few restricted section things. Okay, mm. and one of those things was top pod under under pod, uh, and no, she she gave it to me as just like a I was head script librarian, and I would just read plays all the time. But she actually suggested it to me. She's like, you need to pick that up, and I was like, great. Read it, loved it, but wasn't like fully sold on it as a script. Mm. I was kind of like, oh, okay, cool. Like I don't know if I get this. Maybe this isn't mm -hmm. for me. But then I watched maybe like a year later. I watched the documentary mm. on the broadway production of it it's kind of like a low budget doc um but it's all it shows you tons of scenes of don Cheadle and jeffrey wright <sighs> and oh, i was just be. like oh i had no idea <laughs> <laughs> and just went and went back and read it and fell in love and have always wanted to dive deeper into her stuff uh but never really have i've seen the things that she's written for screen um it was really fun to watch mm -hmm. uh billy holiday uh, united states versus billy holiday we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, kelly did you get to watch that I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one. I think there's a lot to say there. Uh, and we'll get to it. But uh, before we do anything else, we want a little bit of history on this play, right? We need to understand yeah. her better and her context. Yeah. So uh, we have a, a, a nice little segment here. Uh, what's it called, Scott? Scottpedia. Scottpedia. That's right. Um, are you guys ready? I'm, a, yes. I'm yeah, so ready. It's, it's cool. Can uh, we play the game today? Oh, I didn't. I didn't. Truths and a lie. I, I, well, it's funny because there's not a lot of stuff about her. She keeps herself pretty private, especially okay. like her family stuff. Um, Ibsen, but I have, for Ibsen, you got to play the game. Uh, yeah, that'll be, <laughs> that'll, that'll be easy because I can make stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is interesting because I have a connection with Susan Laurie Parks, and, and I'll share it here in just a second. Uh, born on May 10th, 1963 in Fort Knox, Kentucky, she and her two siblings were army brats, and military <gasps> brats are the best. Just <laughs> like Scat Leggett. I am Scat a military Leggett. brat. So there's, ah. a, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff uh, that I connect with here. Uh, Parks attended high school in West Germany, where her father, a career officer in the United States Army, was stationed. The experience oh. showed her, quote, what it feels like to be neither white nor black, but simply foreign. Um, and mm. I think that that's an experience that a, a lot of military kids feel, especially when you're overseas and you're in an entirely different world. Um, but after returning to the U.S., Parks' family relocated frequently, and she attended school in Kentucky, Texas, California, North Carolina, Maryland, and Vermont. I can identify hey. with that. Oh. I went to twelve school. I went to wow. twelve schools in twelve years. So, or that was wow. the average. Yes. 
in high school, Parks was discouraged from studying literature by at least one dipshit racist teacher. Mm. Uh, but upon re reading Virginia Woolf's To the Lighthouse, Parks found herself veering away from her interest in chemistry and gravitating towards wow. writing. That's cool. I love that. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. Virginia uh, Woolf. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have an inspiration as a young that's woman a writer, you know, that's a pretty yeah. one. Uh, Parks attended Mount Holyoke College and became a member of Phi Beta Kappa. She graduated in 1985 with a BA in English and German literature. Wow. She studied under James Baldwin, uh, wow. wah, 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 like another <laughs> James Baldwin reference on this show. Which is, uh, yeah, we talk about him a lot, but I will say uh, there's a really interesting story that apparently her parents, when she was in fourth grade for Valentine's Day, gave her the Nikki Giovanni James Baldwin a dialogue what? as a gift. Oh, that's so, amazing. Parents she was dealing with in, okay, in a good way. Okay. Right, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. That's how you parent. Yeah. Um, James Baldwin. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Baldwin encouraged her to become a playwright. Parks was initially resistant to writing for theater, believing that it was, quote, where a lot of people with too much attitude wore funny clothes and funny little costumes, and they talked with funny little voices, even though they were from, like, New York or New Jersey, and I didn't respect that. You are correct, quote. Susan. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, but Parks began to take classes with Baldwin, and at his behest began to write plays. Baldwin later described Parks as, quote, an utterly astounding and beautiful creature who may become one of the most valuable artists of our time. Yeah. Prescient. So he was saying that before 1989 when he passed wow. away. Wow. So, yeah, he recognized the talent. Um, Parks then studied uh, for a year at a drama studio in London. Uh, studied acting specifically. Uh, in 2001, Parks married blues musician Paul Osher. They divorced in 2010. By 2017, she married Christian Kanapka, with whom she has a child. Parks noted in an interview that her name is spelled with a Z as the result of a misprint early mm -hmm. in her career. She said, when I was doing one of my first plays in the East Village, we had flyers printed up and they spelled my name wrong. I was devastated, but the director said, just keep it, honey, and it'll be fine. <laughs> and it was. Uh, she teaches playwriting currently at Tisch School of the Arts in yeah. the Rita and Burton Goldberg Department of Dramatic Writing. Yeah. Uh, and she was the first African-American woman to win the Pulitzer Prize for drama for Top Dog, Underdog. Yeah. We love yeah. it. Yeah. We stand a legend. We right? stand. <laughs> yeah, she's incredible. Her story's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And... I don't know if y'all have ever listened to her speak, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but most specifically, there's an interview with her on American Masters, if you ever get Which a is chance. on YouTube. Which is on YouTube. Easy, easily accessible, yeah. And listening to her speak is not only like the warmest bath you've ever taken in your entire <laughs> life, but like the ways she describes things, the way that she talks about the decisions she made in her life, yeah. the way that she describes writing, the way, even the way that she talked about the 365 plays a day thing. She was like, this was my love letter to the theater. I wanted to thank theater oh. for giving me all that it has given me. So I wrote a play for it every day for a year. And it's like, what? You're amazing. I love you. She does say that she feels that she is an ambassador to the human race mm. and not to mm. any specific race. That is like mm. her big calling. Um, she really loves the Greek tragedies. See? You can see that in her yeah, writing. You can definitely yeah, see that in her yeah, writing. Yeah. You can sure. feel it. She says she doesn't yeah. love the she doesn't love the comedy so much. 
Mm -hmm. But she yeah. loves the tragedies because it feels like they're wrestling with angels, is the way she put it. And I was like, Ooh, that's the hottest Christ. thing I've ever heard. Okay, yeah. well, yeah. through tragedy. <laughs> right? <laughs> she's she's uh, incredible. There's this other little story, just because while we're doing the context, I just want to throw this in. Um, when she was writing her first play, which is called The Sinner's Room, I believe. Yeah, is that right, Scott? Uh, it is The Sinner's Place. The Sinner's Place. Sorry, okay. Um, she went in front of an advisory board uh, to sort of she had to like uh what's the word Def um, defend her defend thesis. she had to defend this play as like a, as a thesis and uh, uh apparently the head of the board said uh in what world would there ever be a play with dirt on the stage because apparently she had said yeah. there's a lot of digging in this play maybe there's earth on the stage was yes. the only line maybe mm. there's earth on the stage Oh, I love that. Which is a an oh, and we'll talk about how she she speaks to her directors so well mm. in these plays where she's not directing them, but she's saying like maybe this, I don't know your choice, <laughs> and, and I love that and the fact that she was like maybe there's dirt, and then she goes in front of the head of this board and he's like, who would ever put put dirt on a stage? That's not art. Oh um, my gosh, insane! What an asshole! That like I'm. This is also after I think Rite of Spring. There was a famous Rite of Spring that they did where they put dirt on the stage, mm -hmm. like. I saw a production of Sounds Grapes like of Wrath. like he was just trying to be an asshole. I think he was. I saw a production of Grapes of Wrath where they had trap doors, but they were all filled with soil. So anytime they had to bury someone or, or dig, yeah. they would open the trap door, which was kind of theatrical, but then they would start really digging. And you'd be like, oh, That's shit. Fun. That was really cool. And then also I did a production. I think I've talked about this a hundred times on the pod, but I did a production of Richard III at Hogwarts. Beatty directed it, and it was this um, post-apocalyptic Richard III. So it was a, we built a building that had, like, rebar coming out of it and shit, but we put literally two tons of sand on the wow. stage yeah. so that it looked like – and it was, like, really hard to walk through. And at the end, the ghosts had to pop out of the trap doors and stuff, and it would just throw sand everywhere. Mm. It was fucking awesome. So my point is, fuck the head of that board. Right. Yeah. yeah. Probably at Holyoke. Lack of vision. Yeah. Yeah, lack of vision. That's right. Lack of vision. <laughs> I saw uh, Patrick Stewart in The Tempest in the park Ooh. years ago. And oh, the, the stage was a giant sandbox. The whole fucking thing was a giant circle That's of cool. sand. And it was extraordinary because the actors had to work. Like, they would have right. to, like, trudge across. Yeah. And Keep voice and yeah, it was. What's it was... the play with the pool? Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Oh, metamorphosis. I worked run crew on that, and then also when I was a senior, we did Our Country's Good, and they put a bunch of sand everywhere. Oh yeah, I did a production of Our Country's Good that was it's a good play. It's a, it's a great play. It's a, I'd like to do that. It's a good play. It's a good play. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking with about. Dirt on stage. But yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not... <laughs> No, but I worked with the coffee grounds on stage. Oh, Ooh. yeah, that's a yeah. slippery. Was it, it was, slippery? It was, but we also had like some water with it too, so it was just it was like, like muddy, muddy, that muddy like, yeah, yeah, consistency. Yeah, yeah. But a great smell. It was great oh yeah, yeah. man, like walk into that space, like <laughs> right, just like oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but I love. I mean, to me, like I as an actor, like or just perform. It's just I love that kind of stuff. I'm like yes, there's like dirt or leaves or grass. It's just something mm -hmm. about bringing the natural world onto stage is yeah. just like oh, to both it. literally and figuratively like ground you right yes right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> something tangible that isn't a yes. piece of set yeah um i've even seen a couple things and i don't know i haven't performed on this but i've seen a couple things specifically too heavy for your pocket at mm -hmm. um sacred fools um had astroturf on the stage 
Oh. And part of me was like, oh, this looks really good. But then when I kind of think about it, I'm like, oh, I kind of wish they had put like sod. <laughs> yeah. No. I've been, a, I've, 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 I've no. seen and been in shows where, where they've used sod. It's a That's pain cool. in the butt because you oh, got to okay. make Well, because what like happens. Like bugs and shit. And... It's not so much that. It's the it, sod needs water. Yeah, it dies right. eventually. And so, right. so by the time you get to week eight. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just a dry, clumpy fucking Hey, mess. but maybe that's part of it. Maybe you let right, it die and it becomes this metaphor of the overarching entire yes. run of the play. It's like, it's like Joe Dorowski with the, uh, with the dead elephant. Oh, like, Jesus. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, I'll take that. I'll take your dead elephant. And that's in two weeks, Scott. We'll, that's in two weeks. Yeah, we'll get there. Teaser. Stay teaser. tuned, everybody. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Spoiler. I'm going to quit the podcast before then, honestly. Probably. No, you're not. No, you're know. not. Jodorowsky. No, you, but what a, oh, you loved it. You know you did. I did. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Um, okay, let's get into our first play because we're going in order of when they came out so that we can kind of chart her evolution. Now, I did realize a lot of her plays are available, but a lot of her newer plays are not yeah. Um. One that we really wanted to find was White Noise, and we didn't find it until yesterday, two days ago, yeah, <laughs> or yesterday when yes. Natalie, uh, uh, who Natalie Dre Nicole Dressel, who was our guest on our Paula Vogel miniseries, go back and listen to that. It was a phenomenal miniseries. She, uh, sent us the script. Oh shit! Am I supposed to say that? Ah. We'll cut it out. Here's the thing. Kelly, we we'll have white her. noise if you want to read it. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, someone got, got the it. script and we got it. And we, and we, uh, I did not have time to read it. Did you? Me either. Okay. No. No, I, 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 I opened it up and glanced at it's it. It's not be, it's not supposed to be released for like another month almost. Yeah. That's what Amazon told me anyway. Well, we will maybe cut out uh, Natalie's name, but besides that, we, uh, <laughs> we did. We got the goods. We got the goods. We got the goods. And we're people, happy about people. It. Well, it's like I got that bootleg top top dog underdog years ago. Like, and nice. it was like there wasn't even a copyright page on it. Like, it looked Yay. like it had been Ooh. typed on like Word ninety seven, and yeah. like you know, Not it was like it notes was in the margins and it was shit. Like, yeah. It was raw. It was raw. And I it, love it, that. And I need to find that and do a compare and contrast to the published version and see if there were any changes. Mm. Anyway. Absolutely. But we have now, a first play to talk about. Yeah, so the first play we're talking about, and remind me of the year, Scott. Uh, yeah, Venus came out in, let me see, because there was a cluster here, uh, 96. 96, okay, got it. So this is sort of, was this the first one to really get notice of any sort, or are there earlier ones? There, uh, um, the American play seemed to have gotten some attention. Uh, the right. death of the last right. black man in the whole entire world, uh, aka the Negro Book of the Dead, uh, also mm. got a lot of attention. Uh, okay. That was like in development over a period of time, so that got like a lot of like early energy. Like people were like, "Wow, this Susan Lou Parks might might turn out to be something." So she. She's in a place where people are looking out for her work, at least. Yeah. yeah. Um, she hasn't blown up yet. But okay, so the, the play is Venus. Uh, this is a story that I think we need a breakdown for. So, uh, hey, Siege. I'd love to. <laughs> CJ's Breakdown. 
Beginning in South Africa, moving to England, and ending in Paris, Venus is a response to some of the known historical events that occurred to a Khoisan woman known as Sarchi Bartman, renamed Sarah Bartman, Bartman by her white kidnapper, and finally the Venus Hottentot by her white owner, who thinks of herself as a mother. Mother showman. That's right. Uh, yeah. So this was a play I did not know about. And I'm a little upset that I didn't. Kelly, you already knew this play. Talk to me about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I knew, uh, well, yeah, sorry, Sarah Bartman um, in college. And so I knew her story. Um, I don't think at the time of, when I was in school, I don't think it was brought, the play was brought up. Um, but I knew just about the kind of sadistic nature of her, of her journey, or the, her forced journey right. um, that she had to go through. And, um yeah, it, I mean, it had like I said, like I had a director that gave gave it to me, and I just it just kind of sat in my in my like library because I was like I'm just not ready yet right. to, yeah. to dive into it. Um, and then you do, and it's this kind of cathartic, but you know, very frustrating um, reading experience. Um, but the way she writes it, and you know, that she dealing with just like or something. It's very small but huge aspect of like American history and like black experience in the world. Um, it was doable, <laughs> but uh, still, still just a visceral but into human nature. Right, because this this was a big thing in Victorian England, but mm -hmm. it was also huge in America. Like we yeah. don't talk about it as much in America, but like Barnum had a Venus Hottentot in his. I felt like right. this was the proper telling of Greatest Showman, to be honest. Absolutely. Oh. In fact, when we did our Greatest Showman episode, we brought this up a little bit because there was um, Joyce Heth, who was the woman he passed off as the oldest woman in the world, mm. the, uh, who was once a slave, and now she's the oldest woman in the world, that kind of thing. And he mm. chained her up, and he treated her like cattle, and and had a hot uh, someone he called a Hottentot that he did, who had the same, um, uh, what is it? It's Steetopegia? That sounds right. I think yeah. is how you pronounce it. I should have looked up like an actual pronunciation, but that's it's a disorder where you have extreme uh, buildup of tissue in certain areas, usually around the thighs, the uh, and and posterior, and sometimes can go other places and can go to the front of the thighs and things like this. And it was both treated as quote unquote freak show or mm. sideshow act as mm -hmm. well as like sexualized. And it's a really great, I mean, this is kind of what you were saying, Kelly, but it's just a really great analog for mm -hmm. the forced journey and also the sexualization of black bodies in mm -hmm. America and everywhere else. But everywhere else, yeah, yeah. You know? And I thought, uh, I thought a lot about the elephant man, uh, as I was reading it, the fact that there was sort sure, of this sure. Victorian yes. British um, that predated obsession that predated even the American version of exploiting exploiting people uh, and and tragically, mm. uh, yeah, it, it it hit me like a ton of bricks. I I in reading this, I had a very difficult time. This is a very difficult, complicated play to read she's doing a lot of stuff in this mm -hmm. and it's funny because i read you know very the, theatrically 
very Greek. Yeah. Yes, it is very, very yeah. Very epic, very Brechtian. A lot of it reminded me, I'd just seen the mm-hmm. production of Octoroon at the Fountain Theater here in Los Angeles. And Ooh. a lot of it reminded yeah. me of, of what Jenkins has been trying to do in his work in terms of bringing mm-hmm. forth sort of Brechtian epic theater ideas com- uh, juxtaposed with various other theater styles. And I thought she mm-hmm. was definitely sort of invoking a lot of stuff in here. But once I kind of got through the mechanics of what was happening, um, but I, I really just was like enthralled by it and moved by it. Like there was a point where I got really teary-eyed and kind of affected as I especially went and, mm-hmm. and researched more Bartman's actual experience because the other thing that's interesting about this, and we'll talk about it, we were talking pre-show a little bit about it, and we'll talk more when we get to United States versus Billie Holiday, but she, Parks very intentionally said that this is not historically accurate, that the right. idea was that she was doing a history of history through the filter of theater to sort of Which emphasize. is what Hamilton is, mm. yes. which is what, uh, you know, uh, I feel like there's another one we've talked about that's a revisionist. Well, Tarantino does it all the time. Greatest Showman. Yeah. I greatest mean, show, well, Greatest great, Showman. Greatest, greatest Showman is irresponsible. Is, that's yeah. irresponsible revisionism. That, that's propaganda. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's Disney mm. propaganda. But mm. uh, what she's doing here, Scott, and I think what you're getting to is it, it's called Rep and Rev. Yes. Right. Yeah, well, she. Yeah, that was a huge influence on her right. early on, especially repetition and revision. It's a yeah. style of writing where you basically take, a, usually take a historical moment and you keep repeating it with a bit of change each time. So you're revising it. Um, and I think I think she's doing really interesting things here, especially chronologically, because the play, for the most part, is taking place chronologically, even though there's a lot of mirroring. But then the the scenes are ordered backwards. I think it's thirty one to yeah. one. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is she does a lot of that. And she she does it again in Book of Grace, where she kind of plays with numbers and then goes mm-hmm. forwards and backwards with the numbers and like wants to make sure that you, the audience, are understanding that this is number fifty seven out of right. your X amount. It was interesting. It was really cool. And it says uh, this was a quote from her where she said. Um, the scene reversal is a device I use to remind the audience of the countdown to Sarchi's uh, death, mm. whereupon mm. her life begins again with scene mm. one, um, because she's resurrected to tell her own story. That's kind of the most right. poignant thing of this whole thing mm-hmm. is she gets to tell her own story. Yeah. And so it's sort of like, yeah, maybe she is revising things, but she's getting to fucking tell it. Yeah. And that's what matters here is when we're talking a lot about like who gets to tell whose Their stories, story. you know? Right. Did you guys feel at all that this was a little ahead of its time? Um, for example, I read a lot of reviews about the original production, which were kind of like, it's kind of flat. This doesn't, it doesn't kind of zip. And then there was a revival in 2017 that got huge raves that was far more theatrically dynamic mm. and more interesting. And by that point, we have social media, we have Kim Kardashian, which is invoked a mm-hmm. lot in the criti- mm-hmm. criticisms, the idea of uh, you know the sexualizing of somebody, and then a deliberate sexualizing of of somebody um, in in a horrifying way. But that social media and media in general, i.e., reality television, uh, makes this mm-hmm. even more vibrant. So I, I'm I'm sorry to digress so much, but I I really felt like oh. Like in 1996, maybe people weren't seeing what she was seeing, and she 
called a lot of shit that ended up still happening after the fact. Yeah, no, that, that, I mean, that particular, like, you know, instance, I mean, I definitely, I definitely brought that up. And I had to, like, when I was, like, reading through, I was, like, wait, particularly the scene with, like, you know, the bride-to-be right. um, and the yeah. mother, I was just, like, oh, my God, if this isn't a take on the way that, you know, it, you know, black female bodies are still being used as, in an interest, I mean, it's over-sexualized, but then still being um, appropriated by yeah. oh, black yeah, women yeah, yeah. to be to be, you know, sexual and to get the credit for it and get the the um, admiration for it while still um, the black the black female body is still being oppressed and and um, and over sexualized and then criticized still for it at the same yeah. time. Yeah. And um, I thought that was just I mean it's such a short little scene, but it's so I mean it stood out to it me. It pops, like, right? Yeah, yeah. She's it yeah. Does. She was really calling it like I it was it was just striking to me. Yeah, and even speaking to the plastic surgery in some ways of like you know the snake bite and the venom and and mm-hmm. and, and, and the layering on the you know putting things on the skin to mm-hmm. make it darker. Um, just people weren't people... talking about that in '96, or I mean, I wasn't hearing about it. I guess no. I mean I was trying to find things like just because we we do evolutions, you know, like what was '96, mm-hmm. you know, what was going on mm-hmm. in '96, and like we weren't talking about anything in '96. Like OJ was a few years before, Rodney King was a few years mm-hmm. before, yeah, but we weren't talking about black women mm-hmm. right you know like in that way we weren't doing yeah we're i mean she American was still <laughs> i mean she was st- she, it was she was still five years away from becoming the first african-american woman to win the right. pulitzer wow. which was right. like dumbfounding to me i was like Han- lorraine hansberry didn't win a pulitzer right. like, where, where was that right. like, what, what are you talking about well and that's the the other infuriating thing that we'll get to when we get to top dog underdog a little bit more the the fact that a raisin in the sun, the sun is still as relevant yeah. today in what it's talking about than uh, as it was when it first came out. And it's mm-hmm. fucking crazy and infuriating. Kelly, what you were talking about with that scene with the new bride, it reminds me of like, I grew up in the whitest part of the country, mm-hmm. but like every woman ruined themselves laying in tanning beds. Mm. And like, I've had so many people point that out. Like, it's kind of like one of the more racist parts of the country, but everyone's trying really hard to not be white. Right, right, right. It's like in style to not be white. Right, right. And it's like in style, you know, you always hear, I mean, there's like that saying of like, you know, everyone wants to be black without being black, you know, just Mm -hmm. like what it it would like, just the, the, not constant, but like just, just you know, the trials and tribulations that come that are put on the black body, yeah. and uh, and just it's just this weird, yeah, juxtaposition between you know you have you know non-black women trying to get darker, then you have black women trying to get lighter, mm. trying not to get darker, trying to you know having that tension with loving their skin, with love, you know, and now you have you know it's it's coming back and and so forth, but yeah, it's such an interesting take, and I don't and- know. If, yeah, I was just gonna say, and and the like. So in the play, she she makes she makes an attempt to cash in on herself mm-hmm. and to be able to use herself for herself and get right. slapped down for it and yeah. because of it and like that. That's what early eighteen hundreds, eighteen fifteen, I think, is when she passed. So we we just kept doing that for the next two hundred years. The- Society just kept doing that. And yeah. um, and I think that that's what just sort of is is expressed so beautifully in the play. I, I don't mean to virtue signal, but it it just knocked me on my butt a little bit. Um, 
how powerful she was and her language is extraordinary this yeah. this play also reminded me of this history that we're now finding out very recently about Henrietta Lacks mm. Mm. how they uh, she was the woman that they took her cancer cells and then mm-hmm. she's been this the first person that ever had these like immortal cells that they are still using in medical mm-hmm. science today and she you know died with a lack of treatment, had no money, and just now people are talking about her. Yeah, the Oprah Winfrey biopic uh, on HBO was pretty awesome. I gotta yeah. check that out. Yeah, I've just been reading it. about really, her. Yeah, it's really good. Um, okay, are there? Are, there's there's a hundred more things to talk about here. I feel like I. What else? What else came up for you guys in this one? Was there anything that? rubbed you the wrong way was there anything that you felt like didn't work theatrically especially something that made me giggle was the idea that there was a glossary of chocolates in the back that's <laughs> <of the play. laughs> yeah, awesome <laughs> um i loved that <laughs> so this is something that just happens sometimes and I, I should maybe stop doing it but sometimes it's helped me read things so in reading uh the original cast of this show mm-hmm. um rain mm-hmm. wilson from the what? office, Dwight no. Schrute was in the chorus of this pr- of the original production. I what? I yeah, I know. So what? in my head, I'm like, like I'm like I'm trying to picture him in that world. Yeah, the dude had a whole. I could I mean, see him play a, a racist really easily. Oh yeah, yeah. totally. Or but like, he had a... <laughs> yeah, I was the doctor. Like. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm it. trying to put oh, my, my head's trying to put him in it, and I'm like, uh, n- no. And so it was. Have just you seen a... him play Thomas Paine? Yeah. Oh, he's he's an amazing like stage actor. Like he's and a transformer. I mean, like he he can be mm. anything. Like uh-huh. robots in disguise, straight up. He he. I've seen him do things where, I mean, Dwight is a full character. And then you see him like talk normal and you're kind of like, oh, he's kind of Dwight-esque. But then you see his Thomas Paine and you're like, what? Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's one of those dudes. But that was just a, a minor thing. Like I said, the the biggest thing was me kind of, uh, because we talked about we talked about the Brechtian stuff, we talked about the Greek choruses, and then mm. there's the play within a play, which is right. you know, pre-Shakespearean, mm-hmm. but is also this thing and it was it was and the play within the play is a play that's a real play that's a real play yes Mm -hmm. and that she's uh um, adapted in some way yeah but um so yeah that aside like it was just a hard play to sort of dissect and and get in your head uh and it's 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 one of those roadmap plays where Mm -hmm. it's like i I need to see this. Like, yeah, I, I need, need to see, to see it. somebody realize this because there's so much. Like, if you look at pictures of the 2017 production, um, they did like some crazy stuff. They have like all the chorus in like different rainbow colored wigs, and then mm. and, the, and they were moving, and they said that the 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 stage movement and the performances were really physical. And I, you know, it's a play that feels like you can just rock out and nerd out yeah from a totally theatrical point of view you can oh, just yeah. do all kinds yeah. of cool theater stuff and yeah and, and correct me if i'm wrong am i right that i i kept i went back like three times going is this what's happening there's a whole list of performances to be had during intermission yes mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that's cool yeah, yeah. that's fun in fact yeah. the only other time i think i've witnessed that was at uh, where it was like fully things were going on through all of it was at 
what was it? It was a circus show of some kind. It was something about, it wasn't Barnum, but it was like something of that nature where in the middle they had circus acts going on. And that was kind of fun. I can't remember what it was. Um, it was when I was a kid. It was Godspell? It might have been Godspell or, or like, yeah, like something like that. It was something where it was, or like hair or something, you know? Yeah, were, yeah. Um, but they, yeah, it was probably Godspell. It doesn't matter. Um, but it was, it was a musical that was touring through, so it was probably Godspell. Uh, okay, Venus. Anything yeah. else? Is there anything else we want to say I, about it? I, I mean, there's so much. I mean, she does so much just with like, you know, the 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 kind of tenacity and grit and the mental games and dexterity you have to have to be able to survive in hell on earth. You know, I mean, just yeah. she's like, I'll like, yeah. you know, he mentioned like, I'll sell myself or like, let me, you know, you become you know, it's like, okay, I know that I'm being commodified and I just can't even think about the dehumanization of it, but I'm just, at least I can be the ownership of my own commodity, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and, and make my own coin and be my own boss of myself in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just kind of like, it's such a, 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 um, a mind fuck of like, of <laughs> right? people, like panic I don't know, <laughs> but it's just like, of I'm like no like you're more than like you know you come in this like you know this millennial like no you're more than just like this like you know piece of property but it's like in that time I mean to just be dehumanized day after day after day after day in a cage like I don't know how you can how how much further out of that literal cage can you see yourself right. and 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 you know I mean you you've learned I mean in that time of history you see what resistance what comes of resistance right it's mm -hmm. it's death it's murder like it's just so far you're going to get and there's a price to pay at both ends um yeah and no matter what was revised historically it doesn't fucking matter because this was happening to right. hundreds of people right yes right right so we can't you know what i mean so yeah. like she used her name and her story as a as a vehicle but right. it's about all of them and it uh, and then therefore is about all black people who are in yeah you know i mean especially in america but in mm -hmm. europe europeanized places it's fuck right. colonized it, places right it feels so familiar and so you know just like oh this could have happened and i'm sure it did happen in america in a different fashion you know sure. um smaller yeah. homes probably you know i'm just so much sick stuff but um i struggled actually just with the relationship between um venus and and the doctor like that oh was just, just i was just like what is going on like yeah. you know he's like i love you and i love you and i'm just like because then, love love is a huge part of this play yeah mm -hmm. every scene is a, is talking about love it's always yeah. there and and mm -hmm. even in the intermission they have these poems they read to each other about my love for you is artificial and yeah. the, it's it, fuck love is a huge piece of this that's yeah. an interesting part and, and yeah and and the express like and that's a whole nother element uh kelly uh, of the play is that you then drop after all the the brechtian the greek the play within a play all these elements then you drop into these very intimate, very grounded, very realism mm -hmm. scenes that just sort of knock you, uh, knock you on your butt. And the, yeah, the reoccurring wanting to be loved and wanting to have love and mm -hmm. wanting to uh, love herself. Th those that cycle, course, that repetition. Venus being the Roman name right. of the god of love mm -hmm. and, right. and and things like this and beauty and and mm -hmm. whatnot. And then just. The other side of it is, uh, uh, what were you just saying, Scott? Sorry, I just lost my thought. Uh, no, it just, I'm, 
fried no, today, guys. I don't know what's going on. We're also it's recording. A Saturday. It's Saturday. We're recording <laughs> earlier. What are we doing? We're recording in the morning. I don't do anything in the morning. Um, but no, it's it, it's it's the intersection of all of those. Wow. Sorry, was, yeah, they uh, see uh, down uh, the street like no, near Fast <laughs> <laughs> Furious 12. It's, like a, it's, it's our new stinger. <laughs> Trans- transition motorcycle stinger. Um, Bailey's fried. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, it, it, she's, she, she takes a cluster. She takes race, sexuality, mm-hmm. love, exploitation, mm-hmm. violence, history, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and she meets them all at this sort of perfect moment in in the construction of the play for me that balances so great that is an entertainment an engaging entertainment and a provocative entertainment uh on top of everything else which is you know she puts a perfect little bow on what is an insanely complicated thing and i think one of the reasons that it works is because she isn't focused on being historically accurate. She's right. questioning right. history. She's challenging mm-hmm. history. And so mm-hmm. she's taking it and, and turning it on its head. And it, it's a hell of a plan. And I think the I fact remember that now. It, uh, the, the, the go for it. No, please finish your sentence. Uh, that, that, that we're still talking about the play that I think that it's become even more significant, even more on mm. point than it would have initially appeared in 1996, mm-hmm. especially in a 1996 predominantly white, not thinking about shit kind of right. world. Uh, the yeah. fact that we're coming back to it and man. And so it's been five years since that 2017 production. And I want to see one. I would wonder too, if people in 1996 were just like kind of not ready to deal with it which is why well yeah you know, we say like we weren't talking about it quote unquote but really it's that we weren't ready to talk about right, it and when i yeah, say right. we i mean like you know the proverbial yeah. we but we, uh yes. there were American people talking style. about it there were pe- there yes, been yes. people talking about it for hundreds of years right. unfortunately <laughs> it's only just now become mainstream enough that uh you know we yeah, SL, SLP was telling us about SLP, it. Right. Hey. slapping us over the face, just like just like uh, uh, Sam Shepard was in the seventies, yeah. yeah, telling us to watch out for post-Vietnam shit. Like we, we fell into the traps and Look out SLP, for fascism, y'all. Yeah, and we <laughs> have fallen into the traps that SLP is warning us of. But we are we are now talking about these things. The one thing I remembered that I wanted to bring up, just because it's so fucked about the doctor's relationship with her, he gives her gonorrhea. Yeah. And then she gets blamed for it right. and treated as dirty, filthy, mm-hmm. all that kind of right. stuff. And if that's not the ultimate sort of thematic <laughs> right. statement of this thing. Right. Well, and one tiny thing I wanted to add too, which I, I felt this in this play, but I also felt it in, felt it in A Book of Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, while, I, while I know that there's so much that I can't possibly understand, she writes women well. She writes women in a way that I'm like, yep, you know, and and I really appreciated that about her work as well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. All right. We want to move on to the next one. Let's do it. Okay. okay. Yeah. I loved Venus, and v- people should do more productions of yes. it. Yes. Oh, so I can yeah. see it. Yeah. It's, right. Especially now. Yeah. And and if you're a young playwright, read that fucking play because mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's 
it's something. It's and an I'll accomplishment. be excited for our rankings later. By the way, Kelly, you're gonna have to rank these plays oh, uh, at the end of this, which is tough. It's hard. It's tough. It gets really brutal, and then but we get mad I, at each other. I will tell you, I went into this thinking I knew what it was gonna be, and I it totally changed. And I'm like so so excited to to get into that later. That's on the next episode, though. We're not there today. <laughs> but before then, we got to talk about another play. So. Remind me of the year again, Scott, but this is Top Dog Underdog. We're talking about 2001. Mm. 2001. Wow. Okay. Uh, this is 9-11. I'm wow. sorry. I'm sorry. 1999. I'm sorry. Okay. I had a production like a month after 9-11 or a month before or something. Well, there's, Got it. Yeah, there were productions still going on too, I think. so. Right. Um, but yeah, so there we go. 1999. Okay. 1999. Best year of film of all time. Mm. Uh, look up. <laughs> That year of film, it's fucking amazing. I mean, all I have to say is The Matrix, and you go, okay. South Park. I was, yes, I was thinking, I was just thinking that. South yeah. Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut. Uh, <laughs> American Beauty, which, you know, we can erase most of that. But for Gladiator. <laughs> Gladiator. Gladiator, yes. Gladiator. What a good year of Oscars, and a lot of good yes. animated films came out that year. Anyway. Animation I was nine years old. I, I had a great time. Um, so <laughs> we are talking about Top Dog, Underdog, uh, 1999. Uh, CJ... Breaking them. CJ's breakdown. The story of Lincoln and Booth, two African American brothers whose names, given to them as a joke, foretell a lifetime of sibling rivalry and resentment. Haunted by their past, the brothers are forced to confront the shattering reality of their future. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to talk about one thing you said, which is very true that. Uh, Booth and Lincoln are the names mm -hmm. of the brothers, and it was a joke by their <laughs> dad. Mm -hmm. This is also the spark of what made her write this play, and the story goes is that uh, she was sitting in front of her literary manager, and she thought just of the joke. It just popped into her head. Two brothers, Lincoln and Booth. That was it. Mm. that's just mm -hmm. what popped into her head and she said and this I, this goes back to how I was describing her earlier like the way she describes things is fucking insane and I love it and this might be the best thing I've ever heard in my life she said that she had a little laugh and that the way that she describes this little laugh is the most amazing and enchanting thing I've ever heard um, she says that it was like a fish hook caught her lip and she was just caught from there and it was like falling in love for the first time. And it sounded like that. And she does it in the American Master. She like grabs her. <laughs> she grabs her. Lid, she goes. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and she's so she's so soft-spoken. Yes. And like everything she yes. says is very magical and like this. But she was like, you know, when the fish are just going through the river and there are lures everywhere. I was surrounded by lures. And mm -hmm. as I. Well, you go go listen to her. But basically. <laughs> As I swam through the lures, I saw one I liked. Lincoln and Booth, two brothers, and it caught my lip, and I laughed. Uh huh, uh huh. And then my liter literary manager said, "I think you need to go right." And I said, "Yeah." And she, said, yeah. And then I went home and wrote this in three days. Wow! Wow! So she wrote top top dog underdog in three days after huh. this moment, uh, That's which is how it is kind of amazing. The good yeah. stuff. That is how yeah. it is, though, right? It That's is, how it yeah, happens. It is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's so funny because I think, like, and you know, and you often hear like a lot of artists or writers, like, or even musicians, just say, "It just comes, and you just have to get it out." And like, and and you you step back, and you're like, 
oh, oh, I didn't even know that I wrote that in there. Or like, right. you know, like. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the things I'm most proud of that I've ever written were things that I just wrote like on a whim yep, and sort of yep. put in someone else's hands and then mm -hmm. like saw it later or read it later and went like, oh, fuck, I'm I didn't know you. I didn't know you could do that. That was kind of great. Three guys, one Groupon was that for me, CJ. It was the the sketch series that I just wrote, like sitting on my phone one day because they needed more scripts. Yeah, and we then were I, begging him for a script. Yeah, and I went and saw it, and I was like, "Oh wait, is this the most genius script ever?" And I didn't know it. <laughs> just it. three guys talking about Groupons. So right. you know. Groupons. Groupons. Yeah. Uh, I will say this play almost feels like a period play now. Mm. Talking about landlines, uh, <laughs> just just the whole mechanism too of the card thing. I don't know that I've seen or heard of that going on. Am I? Am I? I mean, I haven't. This is in New York, right? Never been on the streets of New York. <laughs> I mean, it's been a long time. Oh, I've lost. I've lost all kinds of money doing three three card Monty in yeah. New York, really? in Chicago. Yeah, you threw down 20 bucks and you think you have a shot at it. Oh, man, I just, and, yeah. I'm not into gambling. So, like, I'm just mm -hmm. like, no, I'll lose. I'll lose all my money. I know I will. Yeah, you know, but, you know, they, it, yeah. But the dudes no, are I, good, too, and they have all the skills. Yeah. And that's kind of what it ends up being, right, is is Lincoln teaching mm -hmm. this to his younger brother, all these skills about how to play the Monty and how to play people and read people and right, right. love that shit. It is, and it, it it's a fantastic um, device to use, too, because... Like you read it and then you go and you watch some clips of, you know, Cheadle and Jeffrey mm -hmm. Wright, Don Cheadle and Jeffrey Crazy. Wright on, Crazy. on stage together. And and the rhythm and the the musicality of them doing the cards, pick a card, pick a card, pick a mm -hmm. card. You don't want you you want the black card, you don't want the red card. And 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 then her talking about the speed and I'm, the detail I imagine that they had to work through because Booth is just a little bit slower. He's a little bit more off and, and Lincoln is way smoother. But mm. just, you know, the idea that one brother is teaching another brother a con, which is, you know, metaphorically what they're both experiencing as two African-American men in America today mm -hmm. is is awesome. But just... The layers of metaphor and is the fact that the first image you see is a black man in whiteface dressed as Abraham Lincoln, mm -hmm. and that's how you start your show. <laughs> like that's how you start your show, and is man, it was so rich. And as I read it a second time uh, last week, just and I've read it multiple times over the years, but the second time going, man, like it's just it's just loaded, and I just. Yeah, she just blew me away. Like her use of language and her use of metaphor is, I mean, it might be the best of our current crop of playwrights that I can honestly think of. She's phenomenal. I will say the because I had read this play a couple weeks ago before I saw an Octoroon at the Fountain Theater, which everyone should absolutely go see. Friend of the yeah. pod, Casey Rogers and Vanessa Stewart are both in it and phenomenal in it. And uh, Pam Trotter is amazing in it. And a couple yeah. other people are just like fantastic. Uh, but it is, uh, I will say like as a theater goer, when I went to see it, I wasn't, I don't think as punched in the gut by it as I would have been had I not just read Top Dog Underdog again, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like the specifically the Lincoln Whiteface moment mm -hmm. at the beginning and stuff. I just, I... I I'm not diminishing Octoroon in any way, shape, or form, but it did feel a little bit like SLP did it first. 
<laughs> I mean, it's also very Shaw of her because everyone's sure. written in dialect in this. Yeah. Yes. Very absolutely. Shaw. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, was the had you read this before, Kelly? I I think excerpts from again school like I yeah, yeah so I was all like, kinds I of scene the, work over the years yeah yeah and then just even uh, and a little bit in like art history um, I don't know our, our history professor was doing all kind of crazy stuff amazing stuff but yeah <laughs> so I heard so I was like I know I have this somewhere in my house like in like my notebooks like so yeah but I hadn't and it, not in its entirety right yeah. I I have uh uh seen many many scenes from this mm. done yeah, in scene studies scenes. acting classes i've yeah. never seen a full production i would love to but i do recommend everybody go check out the documentary on it because it has so much of the don Cheadle jeffrey wright performances and mm. we've talked about jeffrey wright i think on this podcast a hundred times he was in angels in america yep. a bunch of other yeah. things that we've talked about but uh don Cheadle is someone I think people forget about being one of our best actors maybe of the last 50 years. Mm. I mean, we're mm. yeah, we were just mentioning Rain Wilson tran just transforming. Uh, Don Cheadle. You, you go back to his yeah. first stuff. His and Optimus like, Prime. Oh, man. He's just like, <laughs> and, and just uh, an actor that is always... I've always loved because there's always a vulnerability. There's yeah. a grounded humanity. There's that is brings to everything. Like, even the Marvel stuff. Like yeah. there's like he's amazing he, as War Machine. He's yes. so good. Rhodey. Oh yeah, man. Like it's it, and that he's sort of the heart of the group. Like that yeah. he's sort of like you know because he's not doesn't have super superpowers right uh he's just a guy he's just a a, a soldier and something uh, i'm excited to see him in coming up he's gonna play the older voice narrator on the new reboot of the wonder years yes oh wow <laughs> i'm Which really just, pumped about that uh, uh, so excited i'm so excited and then they're and then he's they're filming right now white noise which he's in which is the uh, oh, Susan oh. Laurie Parks play that they're now making into a like, movie. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, oh, nice. Super pumped about that. Have y'all watched Black Monday? No. No. It's, I think it's on Showtime is how I watched the first okay. season. I haven't watched past that. But it is phenomenal. And it's up for a bunch of Emmys this year. It's fucking... It's, yeah, he's nominated it's, every year. Yeah, every year. <laughs> Um, oh, he's so good. And then, you know, obviously just like in game, all the Marvel stuff, all this yeah, kind of stuff. But then like yeah. Hotel Rwanda. And oh, like, my God. That movie destroyed <gasps> me. I was I've never been able to watch it a second time. No, like, no, I get, no, I, no. Every time I've sat down to go, I want to watch it. Uh, no, I no. can't do it. I can't. Oh, God, he was. You know, the thing about like, John, um, actors like Don Cheadle and, and like Rain Wilson is that like it's they're almost like they're kind of the best kind of actors because like and he had mentioned this. He said, I think. I'm able to transform because I'm not so, so big. So I can really become any character and they just see the character instead of like Don Cheadle, the, the right. actor. Yep. Yeah. But they, I think it's, I think as, you know, as a theater goers or people who really appreciate the, the art of, of acting, yeah. um, recognize really good actors and they're not always a actors. You like, you're just, right. no, yeah, they're not, <laughs> they're not superstars. It was like no. for years, uh, uh, Al Pacino and Jack Nicholson would not do TV interviews. Right. Mm. They would only do interviews for magazines because they were like, I don't want you to know 
right. anything about me. The less you know about me, the better than my work will be because mm-hmm. then, you know, of course, they both became Jack Nicholson and Al Pacino. Right. Right. So now you can't see past that. But uh, but yeah, it's a true thing, you know, and yeah. I, and I'm sorry we've done such a big thing on Don Cheadle because but he, he deserves it. But I, I wanted to also say that um, one of his because he used to be sort of the that guy from that one thing and has only mm-hmm. in the last like maybe decade gotten a name where we really know his name right. but i always think of him in boogie nights oh he's oh. really funny in he's boogie so nights so marvelous oh and you just so good hug, in it you just want to hug him and then another thing <laughs> he just that wants I, a stereo store that's right. all he wants to do and i think another thing worth talking about is that he did a, a big run of like sitcom things he was on an episode of fresh prince that's one of my favorite episodes where he's his friend from philly who comes <laughs> to oh see him God. and oh, cultures yeah. clash and things like mm. that but here's a big one cj this is for you and me he was a staple on the only season he was on he was on like 24 episodes or something of the only season of the Golden Girls spinoff, The Golden Palace. Oh, I haven't watched any of that. Oh, it's trash, but it's ah. like, it's what's his name from? It's Blanche and Rose and Sophia together. Oh right, the Arthur no was like, Dorothy. nah. <laughs> exactly, and then it's, it's, um, it's what's his name from... Um, uh uh barry bostwick is that from yeah. uh, rocky horror yeah it's yeah. barry bostwick and um jeanette dubois and like people like that like it's a really fun show but it's not good like it's right. like interesting they mm. in theory it could be good it just needs that b arthur energy and they try to replace it with like <laughs> don Cheadle. and you're like it doesn't it's not the same it's <laughs> different yeah it is different and they were it's you know i mean of of historically very white show uh, yes. all of a sudden wasn't anymore and it was this kind of nice spin-off but it just didn't last and it didn't really work right kind of sucks anyway I, I just recalled, I actually met Don Cheadle in real life, and he's actually very, very kind. What? <laughs> yeah, Aww. I was at the the NAACP Image Awards, and um, it was like, why is like walking down just to our seats, and then passed by, I'm like, oh hi. He's like, hi, how are you? Casual, like, so nice. Wow. <laughs> just hanging out with Don Cheadle at the NAACP Awards. You know, no big deal. No big deal. No big deal. Big deal. Holy shit. Well, I, I, you know, we, I think that's the perfect way. No, I honestly think that's the perfect way to end this episode because we, next episode, we do have to finish talking about Top Dog Underdog. I have more Mm -hmm. to say. I have more to say too. We're going to do a little bit of uh, Book of Grace as well, uh, Mm -hmm. which is the other book we read. And then we're going to talk a little bit of United States of Billy versus Billy Holiday. And then we're also going to do our dream rolls and our, LA spotlight. Okay. Oh, wait. And we got to rank shit. And then yes. we'll have to rank shit. We got to rank shit. Yeah. Yeah. Lots, yeah. Lots, lots to do. Lots to do. Is there <laughs> anything y'all want to say on this episode? Because it'll be a whole week till they get to hear our voices again. Is there anything you just need to say about Susan Laurie Park? Uh, I think she's a fucking genius and a national treasure. And uh, yeah. we'll talk more in the next episode. I can't wait. Yeah. I want to fucking hang out with her. Yeah. 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 Oh, she yeah. can be in our top girls. Yeah. Oh my! Okay. This Top Girls is beginning to get a huge cast. <laughs> six, six is not big. It's we can like have up to ten. The, yeah. Well, I'm just saying it's getting bigger than the original Top Girls. Is the I'm original saying. Top Girls is six. So if we get if we is get bigger than that, was four for some reason. Go look it up again. <laughs> I'll look it up. I'm go sure you're right. Our, I'm sure you're Go right. listen to our Carol Churchill episode again. It was a long time ago. Carol Churchill. Oh. Episode oh, three. Y'all. Episode I, three. Okay. Yes. Carol, one of yes. our favorite episodes we've ever done. Ooh. It was so. And we read so much of her shit. 
Yes, oh, yeah. she did. That was back when we were insane. That's a lot. She's she's heavy. She she is heavy, and she working in another universe in terms of like the brain stuff that Carol Churchill. Carol Churchill. That's our Carol Churchill. This is how she speaks. Please don't hate us, Carol Churchill. Please don't hate us. And next episode, I might bring up pigs and dogs because that is very related to a lot of what we're talking about. Um, she's could have brought that up for Venus to be quite honest. That's actually what I meant to bring it up for and forgot to. So I'll save it for next time but uh thank you all so much for joining us for part one of top dog underdog excuse me top pod under pod uh (laughs) join us next week for part two uh where we will finish covering top dog underdog i keep almost i keep flipping it top dog underdog and then uh a book of grace and a little bit of uh billy holiday so uh next after that is an in stuff one of our bonus episodes, Theater, Theater, and Stuff. It's a Scott pick. What'd you choose, Scott? Uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky and his insane films and work as a human uh. being on the earth. And, you know, we've already recorded it. It was an intense episode. Uh, CJ's ruined for life. <laughs> and true, I am. <laughs> and, I, I, yeah, like, I feel like we did a really good job of warping it back into theater talk because his movement sure. work and his viewpoints work is very theater based. So it, it's a very good episode. It's a weird one. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then after we finish up those two episodes, uh, uh, excuse me, we'll, we'll finish the next part two and then we'll do the, the inside. Joe Dorowski. Um, yes. we'll, we'll begin our next playwright. Uh, and let's see if anyone can guess it. This one's kind of easy, though. I think they're going to get it right away. But no cheating. <laughs> Name of the miniseries is Pata Gabbler. <laughs> yeah. It's not subtle. It's not subtle. <laughs> well, it was going to be a Pod's house. And I was like, that's not, it doesn't sound Pata. enough like it. But Pata it Gabbler is hilarious. Pata Gabbler is pretty awesome. Okay. <laughs> It'll be great on a t shirt. <laughs> let's close it out. Y'all have questions, comments, uh, suggestions. Do you have corrections for us? Please contact us. You can reach us via email, Facebook, the IGs, or the Twitters. Scott? Uh, Thank you, CJ. A big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song. Our theme song is better than your theme song. It's true. Indeed. Ryan also writes all of our stingers, and we love him, and he's a fantastic human being. Also, a big shout-out to Pam Quinn, who writes yeah. our uh, episode-centric, uh, playwright-centric songs, which you are about to hear her Susan Laurie Park, so stay tuned. Also, a big shout-out to the Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Annie Baker, who writes every one of our episodes but doesn't know it. One day, <laughs> Annie Baker, we're going to buy you a beer to thank you for all of your amazing work. That's, That's all I That's right. Got. Well, we love you guys so much. Thank you, Kelly, for joining us. Yes, of course. Yes, Thank yeah. you for having me. And, you know, we haven't light. recorded it yet, but Uh-oh. that monologue you did at the beginning of this episode was phenomenal. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I have the gift of foresight, and I know. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, we love you guys so much. Follow us on all the things. Thank you uh, so much to, uh, to Kelly, and we will see you guys next week. Yeah. Oh, as always, sorry, Kelly, this is embarrassing to say in front of people who don't know what I'm talking about, (laughs) but don't forget that mouths and butts are the same thing. Scientific fact. Scientific Scientific fact. fact. (laughs) Well, then. If you don't know why, 
why? If you don't know why, you need to go back and listen to, I think it was Christopher Durang where that began. I don't know. That sounds about right. It sounds about right. <laughs> but then there's there are episodes where we get into all of the science and the why. The true science true. behind it. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's amazing. Mouths and butts are the same things. They we'll right. see you guys later. We love you. Great one. Later, everybody. Bye. There is nothing like a dame, nothing in the world. Such a fucking something thing. <laughs> I don't know the words to this song. Meow. Have a great one, folks. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> something